Welcome to Toby Heddock's Who's Round. It's part one of two because a single podcast was never going to give us the whole hog. So, well, we've had a lovely chat already, and I think this is going to be a, a, a very interesting conversation with an actor I've long admired, so I'm going to ask him to introduce himself and tell us why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Well, my name's Ian Hogg, and um, I've been an actor since 1964, which is quite an achievement in itself. Yeah. The thing I'm proudest of is, is um, uh, sustaining that amount of time. Um, and I was in uh, Doctor Who, which I've never forgotten, in 1992. And the reason I've never forgotten is because Doctor Who fans are so relentlessly persistent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, literally, I came out, I was doing a show in 2012 in Chichester, and I came out of the stage door. And there were three people with notebooks in their hands in the dark, and they came forward. And I, and I, was, I was quite proud of the show, and I was playing a big part. I was playing, it was Anthony and Cleopatra, and I was playing in a barbers. And I expected them to say, you know, <laughs> I loved your performance. Yes, and your majesty sat in speech with excellence. Oh, it's marvellous. <laughs> All that, and they said, uh, can you just sign this photograph, please? And then they said, you were in Doctor Who in 1992, uh, Ghostlight. And I said, yeah. I said, well, and can you sign these three cards as well? And there was this amazing um, legion of Doctor Who fans that st- I still get talking mm. about 1992. Yeah. Do you mind? No, it's very good for the ego. <laughs> <laughs> it's only as a lapsed Buddhist is the ego is the thing I'm trying to destroy. <laughs> but... Um, well, do you know it was the last Doctor Who story to be recorded before it was it ceased production? Before it went to its, transmog- yeah. its transmogrification. Yes, I did know that, and it was Sylvester McCoy yeah. who did it, and it was a it was it was a real good. Uh, the thing about Doctor Who was certainly then that I liked, and I've and I've always admired because <clears throat> it persists. Is it ask of the actors taking the principal roles? It asks all an actor should be asked. I mean, he's got to have no fear of costume wearing because mm-hmm. he's going to be dressed as a diplodocus. <laughs> <coughs> and he's got to actually relish the big gesture. And um, he's got to have a willingness to go into the strangest uh, fairyland of expression. Uh, as indeed, and I've done something like 27 of Shakespeare's 37 plays. And it's that world that possibly I like most. Mm. And Ghostlight asked a lot. Because my character in Ghostlight was um, an alien insectoid character who'd uh, settled in uh, a London outer suburb Mm. uh, and uh, transmogrified into... uh, uh, a biologist and uh, lepidopterist uh, expert, and um, who uh, eventually revealed the fact that he had plans to assassinate Queen Victoria and take over the British Empire. Yeah. <laughs> and um, anyway, slowly, 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 he had to beat his um, fate, which was that. His human state was going to decay and become insectoid, and he had to get f- fresh victims to feed uh, and um, that process. And it was just marvellous. It was like being in a production of, oh, I don't know, The Tempest and all those, all those two, Cymbeline and whatever. And um, so I had a great time. What? It's interesting because we've talked about religion in our sort of pre-interview chat and it's a, 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 I think the story of Ghostlight is perhaps more relevant 
now than it was Absolutely. then because it's about the battle between evolutionists and Christianity yeah. and it's, it's, it's actually a story about change and metamorphosis. It's about evolution yeah. and the fate of humanity. Yeah. And um, Mark Platt wrote yeah. it. And about three or four years ago, I got rung up out of the blue, but, and I wish it, uh, by audio go. Mm. And I read the whole of Ghostlight, uh, and it had to be every word. And it's pretty, in two days, it's quite a frightening prospect, but it brought it all back. And um, it just—I just think it's a very good little book. Actually, mm. I've never met Mark Platt. Well, he, well, he was a Doctor Who. He was one of the the rare people who who was a Doctor Who fan who ended up writing for Doctor Who. Yeah, I mean, that was that was, and it's it's a it's a good it's a I love the story. It's a great production. It's it's by no seeing as it's the last Doctor Who story produced. It's by no means a program that looks like it's on its last legs. I mean, a, a BBC production with a cast that goes a guest cast that goes you Sylvia Sims Frank Windsor. John Nettleton, John Sharon Duke. <laughs> and John Nettleton had been in your first season at Stratford, I think, or oh, an early season for you <laughs> yes, at Stratford. Yes, he was. He was at the Oldwich. Yeah. Um, John Nettleton playing in the first production that... that uh, the first production I ever did at the... <clears throat> pardon me, at the RSC in 1964. Mm. Can you believe it? Is that Marriott Sard? No, no, no. I got. I, I finished my drama training at the drama centre. Right, yeah. went into the big wide world, and um, out of the blue, I got. Uh, this is see. This is what. I, when we were talking earlier, I I believe in serendipity, mm -hmm. the fortuitous, uh, or or Carl Gustav Jung had a had a version of. Uh, synchronicity, the a causal connection of events that that you only realise. Years later, that the significance of X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I got called up out of the blue, um, uh, not even by my agent, because I didn't have an agent. Um, uh, would I go for a, a, an audition to a Jew of Malta show? Uh, uh, and I go to the Don Mar rehearsal rooms, which is now, of course, a theatre of some mm. renown, and uh, do two pieces for a forthcoming production, The Jew of Malta which Clifford um, Simpson was going to take. And he's a... Clifford Williams, sorry. And he was a big West End director. Oh. And I thought, yeah, so... So I learned my pieces. And I, my first piece was uh, Once More Into the Breach, Yeah, Friends, Once More, all that, you see. And I remember going into the Donmar, and it was my first audition ever out of drama school. And uh, there they were, sort of uh, casting director and Clifford Williams and the assistant. And he said, well, hello, shaky, shaky. Hello, Ian, yes, it was. What are you going to do with that? And he's a really nice gentleman. He said, well, what are you going to do with us tonight? I said, um, I'd, I'd like to start with once more into the breach from Henry V. Oh, God. Jeez. His eye looked going, Oh, God. <laughs> this is the sixth time I've heard. You know, and he said, Well, right, just take up your position. And uh, so I did, uh, about sort of 20 feet away, whatever it is. And I went, Once more. And I launched off and I got to about paid line three and dried. He said, Oh, gone. And uh, he came, he came up from the church and said, it's all right, Ian, it is all right. Take a little walk around the block, and around the back there, say, when you're ready, start again. Absolutely nothing against you. Just take it easy. And uh, so I, I did all that, and I started once more. And got to about line eight and dried. And I said, oh, <laughs> he said, it's all right, does not do absolutely no harm making a mess of anything. We all do it all the time. And he gave me a third go. Wow. And I came round and I, I don't think I even got to line four. I, I just couldn't. I remember saying, in, in, in sort of, out of total frustration, I said, oh, God! This is just a waste of bloody time! And walked out. <laughs> and that was it. And um, Thea, my wife and I, went, went for a, a camping holiday. Which we want to, to put this tent in our, in our 
citron thingy and go off. And we were on our way to Wales and we were sort of somewhere around the Welsh Herefordshire border and we'd gone into this pub and he had it, uh, he, he, can we put a tent up in your orchard and that's what we were doing. And a guy came down and said, are you Mr Hogg? You are, aren't you? I said, yes. He said, well, there's somebody on the phone from you from the Royal Shakespeare Company who'd like to speak to you. I said, what? I said, somebody from the Royal Shakespeare Company would like to speak to you. And I, and I, hello. And it was the casting director of uh, this. Uh, he said, Ian, he said, where are you? I said, I'm in Herefordshire. He said, oh, we've been looking for you for two days. He said, we'd like you to be in the Jew of Mopt. And I said, oh, God, yeah. And I said, doing what? He said, we'd like you to play a Turkish basso. And she said, I'm trying to remember her name because she has a lovely name. And she said, don't worry about looking up the place. It's got no lines, I'm afraid. But you will have a bow and arrow. <laughs> 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 and, I, and I did. That was my first job. Wow. It was a Turkish batter. From an audition of dries. And, and he was a terrific director. He was such a gentle man. And, um, and then I got um, Jack Rugby in, in um, a disastrous production of Merry Wives of Windsor, which is where I met John Nettleton, uh, who played the Welsh school teacher. And, um, and then, uh, uh, to, uh, a long story short, I mean, I was in a production of Henry V. With Ian Holm. With Ian Holm. Oh, there's one of my heroes. Yeah, he's a great actor, isn't he? Yeah. And I was playing Captain Jimmy, the Scots captain, who's got sort of eight incomprehensible Scottish lines, which is a Shakespearean joke about incompre yes. incomprehensibility. <laughs> that was my first part, yeah. And I was in the middle of that. And um, then the Marasad, which had opened and was a great... In fact, I'd seen it as a student the year before. Mm. And um, they were recasting three parts for it. Uh, three lunatics and a and a nun, four parts, and uh, uh, I said I'd love to to audition for it, and he said right, well we'll contact Peter and see if he wants to see you, and um, I got the missive saying P Peter's just come back from Persia, and um, he's it's on the phone. He said he'd love to see you, and he'll see you for a chat in the. Um, in the in in the stalls, uh, in between shows, matinee even matinee evening of, of Henry V, which you're in, aren't you, Captain Jimmy? He said, "Well, just strip down to your basic, uh, and after the show, and come downstairs to the stall to the stalls, and Peter will be there and we'll talk to you." And so yeah, and um, and Peter had that reputation for he'd just done theatre of cruelty, which mm -hmm. I'd seen, which is a warm built up of, of improvisational stuff and that. Really. And um, <clears throat> so I was in a hell of a state, and you were thinking, oh God, what am I going to do? He's going to ask me to improvise or whatever. And um, I came and I sat in the stalls, and uh, the casting director, and we sat and sat and sat, nobody arrived. And uh, she said, oh, God, I'll, he's, he, he's back in London. And I, I'll go upstairs, because the casting officer, by the way, I'll go upstairs and I'll ring him, see if he's on his way or whatever. And um, so I was alone in the stalls with the stage, and uh, what was left of the Henry V sort of Agincourt-y type set, and uh, uh, rehearsal lights. And into, from backstage onwards, after I'd been on my own for about five minutes, which felt like an eternity, into the sort of light came this... I'd never met, I'd never met Peter, I didn't know physically what he was like. Came this little man with a huge camera case um, in a blue blazer, looking forward, saying, Hello, anybody here? Anybody here? And I put my hand up from the sort of row 10 of the straws and said, yes, yes, I'm here. He said, ah, Ian Hogg? Yes, yes. 
wait, and I come down to you. And he came down the rehearsal steps and, and up the stalls and along the road and uh, sat opposite me. And we looked at each other eye to eye. And he's famous for these sky blue eyes. And he looked at me for about <laughs> ages and he said, um, you don't want to improvise, do you? And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, let's have a drink. The circle bar's beginning to try and get going. Uh, uh, it's about sort of five-ish, you know, and the public hadn't come in. He said, let's have a drink. And I went up with him into the circle bar. And sure enough, they were kind of still doing that, and there's nobody there. And we sat on st stools next to the bar, and, he, and I had a half lager and something, and he shoved it in front of me and looked at me again. And he said, right here, tell me about yourself. <laughs> and I had this verbal diarrhoea, <laughs> in which, you know, from a christening onwards, <laughs> came onwards, 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 and it must have let me go on for an eternity, and eventually, sort of, um, there was this kind of very gentle hand on pat on my shoulder. He said, it's all right, Ian. The play's about the lunatics. You've got the past. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and uh, that was... That was we had, then we had that actor, had a, a terrific acting relationship, me and a group of people, obviously, with him subsequently, because we went into a protest show which has now become an archive, I found, called US, which is an anti-Vietnam protest. Yes. And, uh, and then we, we did a film of Marassad, and then eventually uh, I played Prospero for him in a workshop of uh, the, the first part of his group uh, in Paris. And we went out in, it's a long time ago, in 1968 to Paris mm. uh, to do this um, <clears throat> international production of um, The Tempest. Uh, and uh, so Japanese, three Japanese, oh, dozen French, eight Americans and uh, Brits and so on. Marvellous project in Paris. And we were rehearsing for about a fortnight in the uh, Gobelin Tapestry Gallery, which was stripped down so that we could have the whole of this space for the piece. Mm. And um, bang, 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 the student revolt happened. Of course. So was, for a fortnight we tried to carry on while all that was happening. It was like a war zone. It was incredible. And um, eventually Peter turned up for one rehearsal and said, um, it's impossible, we're going home. So under military escort, were, eight of us um, were taken back to a, a, an airfield outside Paris and uh, Dan Air, you know, those kind mm. of plasticky, pla transported us back to um, Kent, Limpney, and that was it. And um, I thought, well, that's that's the end. I mean, and uh, I was a perm I was what they call a three-year contract artist to the RSC at the yeah. time, so I was players cast, and they'd offered me um, Achilles in Toilets and Cresta, which is a marvellous part, and I turned it down to do uh, Brooks' work, and it, you know, it was there. and it's Trevor Nunn on the phone, and he said, Ian, he said. Um, I'm terribly sorry about Paris and so on, but um, Achilles is still on if you want it. Because Alan Howard, who is doing it at the moment, to said he'll take it on, um, is Hamlet, and he's got an awful lot. So we can resume things as it were, you know. And I was in, and I said, I don't know, Trevor, I don't I, It sounds fine, but I don't know what's happening, you see. And literally within, 48 hours uh, was that as a sort of not resolved. Um, Brookslot rang up and he said, uh, we've got the money together and we're doing uh, the, the complete workshop Tempest in the Chalk Farm Roundhouse, which is what we did. And then Alan Howard <laughs> swept 
the stage with Achilles. He was marvellous. Oh. So no regrets then? Uh, no, not really. But, but I mean, because subsequent to that, then Brooke gave me Edmund, mm. which is one of those... You know when you say what parts... From from my from my lengths of time, yeah, it's one of the three. That experience of doing Lear. Yeah, well, for those for those listening, uh, I'll give you a bit of context. We're talking about Edmund in King Lear to um, Paul Schofield's King Lear in oh, the very yeah. famous sweeping bleak black and white Peter Brook film, mm-hmm. um, which must so so tell me because Brook we always really associate with that the 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 groundbreaking stage work that he did. So yeah. how did he transfer that skill? Into, into film, which is a totally different medium. Yes, really, isn't it? fascinating his response. <clears throat> I mean, in my experience, Peter Brook's main preoccupation is between him and the actor. Mm-hmm. And um, he's basically, you transpose that into film discipline. And he was interested in the film and so on, but he, he would... The, the responsibility of the technology of film was handed to some marvellous um, cameramen and lighting men and props people. And he would concentrate on him and the actor. And that was his... And not only that, but his, his uh, preoccupation, which has coloured my attitude to theatre um, subsequently, is... Um, that the theatre is a part of development of living. So, so what he's fantastically interested in is what this work, the role, the getting of the role, etc., is doing to this actor. And in what way is the actor finding something new of himself? And the means for that to happen is this process called acting, which... He and the actor both know a lot about in their bodies and in their heads, but it's the craft that makes them see beyond. As this is hogs and mystic talking, uh-huh. but it's about development of self. So it's not just the actor providing something for the audience; it's oh, the actor def- themselves well, def- going. You no, know, like it. a silver, like a. It's Sufism is my image for it. Is the Sufis were. Um, pre-Islamic mystics that become very Islamic now uh, and, and heretical in Islam, most of them. Uh, but they believe in that the, the, the Sufi uh, follower should have a craft, usually metalwork like a silversmith or something. And in fact, his dedication to his craft should be uh, a religious discipline. I mean, it, that it wasn't taken lightly. But his craft was his means for living and also his means for contacting and, and finding out about himself. And it was a kind of yoga. And indeed, in, in acting terms, acting is about the, the inquiry into self and the use of self in the way that yoga is. Because beyond the self is... Uh, what's really interesting. So Brooke's main enemy with the actor was habit. And that was why work could be very demanding because he would never accept a habitual response. Okay, then, well, that begs the question, what did you find that you didn't know that you had? You know, what transformation did you undergo when working with him then in in terms of the things he opened up in, in parts of you or parts of the parts you were playing? Well, to be trivial, um, sort of, one of my discoveries, which was was horses. I I don't know, we mentioned horses earlier, whether we've gone... Yeah, we weren't recording there. But, I mean, I I had to learn to ride, to to take part in this Lear film. And I just got very, very hooked on horses and horsemanship and so on. And for... 30 years, I mean, only half a dozen years ago did I stop keeping a riding horse. My life was, my life and my choice of work frequently was in order to maintain the life of of horse keeping. Uh, So I was a horse keeper and actor, or an actor and a horse keeper. And at certain points, um, 
I can certainly say I took jobs to pay a livery bill. Right. Yeah. And I don't think Peter uh, Rook uh, uh, approved of that at all. And I know that when we finally we f finally finished uh, Edmund and King Lear, and the next project that he uh, he talked about was uh, he said I'm t I'm starting up uh, I want to carry on the Paris venture, and I said he said I'm forming a group in Paris for international group like that 68 time and um, I'd like you to be part of it uh, we've got three years work uh, we, we'll go to Persia and we'll go to North Africa and we'll you know, all of which he did and um, and we'll end up doing a film and uh, or absolutely everything that he, he said to you know do you want to do it and I said I just got married <laughs> two years married and I said, I've just got a horse. And, <laughs> and so I put my name down for a mortgage on Hampton House, you see. And he said, well, sort it out. See what you know. And that, that's one of those choice mm. crossroady things, isn't it? And I've, I, thought, I thought, I can't spend... Because I know, I, I know what, what such work would involve. Fascination and so on, undoubtedly. But also all over the globe. Yeah. So, or they did. They went all over the world, literally all over the world, in a very close unit. Uh, and eventually they uh, ended up uh, completing that. I mean, Paul Schofield is, we know, is, is Lear in the film, but you were also um, in his, to his Scottish king, shall we, shall we Scottish, say? Scottish, yeah, I've been in four productions Well, I, I think it's worth, <laughs> worth talking about that play because you've had a, a, an association with it at various different levels. So, yeah, you were... Yeah, the, so, I, pl I played him... I'm sorry, I'm superstitious. That's, that's fine. In, in Stratford-Ontario. Uh -huh. uh, I was in the Polanski movie. Indeed. Oh, and there's a... A tale indeed about that. Never mind anything else, and uh, and I was in. The, I played Banquo. The BBC Clinton. one, yeah. yeah, to Nicole Williamson, yeah, which I'm guessing was an experience as oh, well. Oh no, this is a this is a big lesson to me about uh, gossip in the theatre and and not taking any notice of gossip. Um, and I, uh, Jack Gold, cast me as Banquo to. Uh, uh, you know, Nicola playing uh, him, and um, people would say, "Oh, it was him. Oh, watch it, Ian. Watch it. It's difficult, difficult. He'll, don't, he can be even violent sometimes. He can." Uh, and I saw. I went up to rehearsals. So he's a big man, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I and I, you know, if I, any mucking around with me, and we'll. You know, no way am I going to take any crap from him. He was marvellous. He ended up in, in in being really a very sympathetic and friend. Oh. And um, only for the duration of that. Sure. Disappeared to a Greek island somewhere. Yeah. And I just think is <clears throat> Nicole, Paul Schofield and... Um, an actor whom mo mo a lot of people won't have heard of at all yet is still going age something is Yoshio Oshida, who was one of Peter's uh, principal actors in all kinds of productions, still, and uh, Yoshi, oh, talk about who, who you know, good acting. When, when, I, I, want, I had to go back to this school of mine to give a, uh, an after dinner talk to the old boys mm. and I said to this PR lady who was arranging it what on earth am I going to talk about and she said oh talk about your marvellous career Ian, and the people you've met you know and I thought mine that marvellous career and um, anyway I talked about this this genuinely about the three three people whom and I couldn't give them any anecdotes about Larry and, you know, Guinness talked to me the other day and uh, my Maggie Smith said blah, blah, none of that. And I just talked about uh, Nicole. 
and Yoshi and Paul. Mm-hmm. And then most of all, one of, I had one of those moments in India, which was, I went on a tour of India uh, with a sort of outpost of the National Theatre, uh, fascinating, in six major cities. And we were in uh, Madras, now Chennai, and um, we had the day free during the day, all things were going well. And um, we went out to see the ruins by the seashore, sort of <clears throat> elephants carved out of solid rock, which is marvellous. And we're sitting at lunchtime, uh, <clears throat> and I just I had a cloth with an apple and bits and pieces that the hotel had given us in the sun, and uh, a, a group of people came up. They were all dressed in kind of yellow and <clears throat> having a great time, sort of giggling. Uh, some young guys and men, and um, this uh, twelve, fourteen-year-old guy. Uh, came up and stood opposite me and looked at me and I, and I, and I looked at him here and I said and I, obviously I thought money, money you know, and I was reaching to um, get some coins out and uh, he, he, he just didn't you know he, he didn't do that but I mean basically he did he just started singing in Hindi or whatever and it was magic, and he was not—he was just singing for minutes, and then he finished, and I, and, and I did that, and so did a couple of others with us. Sort of did that, and I was reaching in to get the cash again, and he just laughed and pinched my apple, <laughs> <laughs> and disappeared to the group, who also laughed, and. Uh, we had a British council guy who was sort of our, our overseer <clears throat> and he came up and said, because we were all amazed, it was marvellous actually, if you think of that as a moment out of nowhere, yeah. it's marvellous. Yeah. And um, we were talking about that and he said, my God, you were lucky, he said to me in particular. I said, why? He said, because you've just been talking to a butler. I mean, what was butler? He said, the the um, family groups of actor singers that perform the ritual uh, Hindi works or regional works um, as an act of worship, and the worst thing you could have done would give him a give coin because <laughs> it was of solid. You should, yeah, you should have recognised you. You may recognise that he's singing a song to Krishna or something. Ah. So it's not about entertainment at all, yeah. it's about... So he saved me from embarrassment by, you know, I was reshooting that and he grabbed he me up. Your... <laughs> uh, but him, and I, and I just thought, if you could, I mean, it's, a, it's an impossible dream, but if you could reach that state as an actor, mm. where you just do it out of joy. Mm. Well, yes, well, but... Uh, and I know that's, that, but it, it's... To me, it's a worthier intent than saying, which is the only other thing I could say to myself, which is, I wish I could do it like Paul Schofield. Well, what was it? I was, that was going to be my... Because what was what was it about Schofield? I mean, he makes it look so easy. I mean... Oh, because he, in acting terms, he's a genius. And um, I understudied him, as you, as you know, and I remember being in the Old Witch, which is where he was performed, and um, I, I had an entrance to make to Sir, Sir sorry that I can't. No, it's the, fine. Scot, the Scotsman's out on stage, and it's one of his big speeches, uh, and um, I, I, I come into it and deliver this message to him. That's my character. In the yeah, and I always used to go down early, early, because he was he's so magic to watch. And anyway, I was understudying him. Anyway, I went down on this particular night and he wasn't there. Nobody. And uh, he was having a very di- difficult time with the production. It was very wearing and full of kind of di- fraughtness. And um, 
he can't have been the, 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 he must have been very tired. And anyway, I thought, oh, God, you know, because you could hear the voice in the tunnel, Mr. Schofield, you're off, Mr. Schofield, you're off. And I thought, his tunnel is busted. So I rushed through the past doors into the corridor behind the old Richard towards dressing room one to knock on his door and say, Paul, you're off. And I literally got to the door doing that and the door opened. And I, for a brief second, I was face to face with him and he looked and winked at me and went, naughty. <laughs> naughty. <laughs> I walked down the corridor. I mean, I'd have broken two ankles in hysteria to get on. Yeah. I just walked on, picked up the scene. It was marvellous. And he'd come, he'd, come he'd, have a, he'd have a showdown scene with uh, the lady. Yeah. You know. And I was waiting to, to make an entrance of not in that. Anyway, and as he came past me frequently, he'd say, her again and again, but she never listens. <laughs> 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 marvellous. I, I, he's a, just a very, very, and to, to add to it all, he's just a very, very nice man. Very nice. Not in a twee sense. Sure. Mm. And it's, I mean, Shakespeare is, is a, is a big thread running through your career and it's interesting that you you know you you do that career trajectory thing you're doing the rsc you're doing the the, the sort of smaller parts mm. and and then but by 1972 you're playing the title role in gory oh, yeah, yes. so um what what or who enabled you to make that leap in acting terms quite quickly from from being the sort of ensemble player to being the leading man i think i mean practically speaking uh the work with Brooke, which preceded that, had uh, had risen to the point when, when really, um, as I think in his terms, I was sort of jostling with the leading people. I mean, mm -hmm. he wouldn't have offered me... He never offered it straight, but, I mean, he did give me he Prospero to do in this workshop thing. Yeah. As it all happened. And the fact that I'd given up the Achilles, which was the beginning. Their gesture uh, of, of the Achilles was a signal from the powers that be that you're on the kind of right bicycle. You know? Sure, yeah. Because Achilles is going to lead to, I don't know, Antony or something, you know. And um, so all that was happening. I'd been on for Paul. I had to, Paul was off. First time in his life. Wow. Or second night. <gasps> he was off. And, and I had to go on for him for about five days. Is this in the Scottish play? The Scottish yeah. play. Yeah. And because it was the second night I went on with, um, I got the, uh, and I'm no great worshipper of critics, but I, I got um, weeklies, The Listener and Punch and, uh, you know, all those weekly reviews, mm -hmm. which are sort of slightly more articulate or whatever. And they were very, very good for me. And I was given a, a feature in the Evening Standard, sort of, you know. And um, out of that, uh, Peter's Edmund came up, uh, and I was in, in that kind of area. Yeah. And uh, I went away. I left the company briefly to do the Scots play in um, Canada. Yeah. I did a season there, which... Uh, oh, amazing, very unhappy, uh, and I came back to Britain and the RSC contacted me and said, Trevor, I'd like to see you, because he's casting for um, the Roman season, it was called. It wasn't just Coriolanus, it was all the Roman... It was a very good idea, actually. Yeah. All yeah. the Roman plays as Shakespeare's Tale of Rome. Yeah. And, um, and I was in a... I'm a, an arrogant, grotty sword, and I said, <laughs> Imagine, they ask me to be bloody aphidious, aren't they? I can see that. And and I went to the uh, Aldrich, and, and uh, there was Trevor with John Barton, and they said, uh, we'd like you to sort of do some of the audition speeches, uh, do a Coriolanus speech, you see. And I, could, and I said, I don't know any. Uh, you know uh, 
about two, two or three days. I haven't got any. But I'll, um, I've been playing Maccas in, in Stratford. I'll do some of that for you to see, you know, test you out. And that's what I did. And Trevor offered me singing. Coriolanus. Yeah. And boy, was that a lesson. <laughs> Why? Oh, it. Did, uh, it, it, um, this is me, Hog the Mystic speaking, but I mean, I'd done, uh, my first season at Stratford had been uh, uh, 67, yeah. and uh, and I'd been in four productions there, ending up playing Tybalt, yeah. uh, and it was a big fight scene and all that stuff, and, um, and I enjoyed it very much, and then um, the time came for... Uh, sort of end of season. And I'm a sentimental kind of idiot. And after the last performance of um, Coriolanus, which was a play in the repertoire at that time, yeah. in fact, Ian Richardson was playing it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I was in it. And I remember, I always say goodbye to the theatre. And... Um, bit sheepishly, but I usually go backstage, hoping like mad there's no stray stage management there, and say, um, thank you, theatre, goodbye, see you soon. That's <laughs> 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 uh, so what I was going to do. And on this occasion, I don't know why, in 1967, I said, thank you, theatre, the next time I see you, I'll be playing and uh, 67, five years later, Yeah, 72. I did. And it was too soon, in my opinion. Really? Yeah. You weren't ready? No. No. And it was this incredibly difficult stage. I mean, nobody performed on it. Mm -hmm. It was a miracle. It was a robotic sort of, in three halves that independently rose and fell and steps appeared out of nowhere and periopterids came and, you know, and the stage literally off... I mean... I mean, literally changed down in a blackout. I mean, I remember Coriolanus leading my army on, you know, to... Storm the wall, no, yes, leading my army on, driving them on rather to, to get at the walls of Coriolis or something like that. And there was a scene finished with a child mammoking a butterfly or something, blackout, bang, walls of Coriolis, next scene, army in Coriolanus, driving them all in forward, you geese, you things like that. And... Um, during the blackout, we had army made its entrance, right? And then I came on with this. And during the blackout, the stage went down. So it went from blackout level, from level down. And, the, and on this particular, it was an early performance, I came out and my army was all in the front row. Because <laughs> 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 they literally stepped onto... and. <gasps> Their, their point of reference was nowhere. Yeah. And it had gone... And they'd gone... Blow! <laughs> so it was a very, very difficult stage. And, I, yeah. and the answer is, I wasn't ready for it. I don't think. And, and um, I got mixed reviews. And uh, over the... We played for nine months. You know, we opened in March, April and ended in December. Yeah, uh, and by the time we reached December, I'd had enough. I, I wanted, didn't, and 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 that was my big lesson in, uh, because I remember Trevor saying, we're taking Coriolan in the Roman place to London, and um, I don't think you've got it yet, Ian. So we're going to have to rehearse hard in London. You know, what's your feeling about that? And I heard myself say, you can have it, Trevor, I don't want to do it. Wow. And uh, I didn't. And Nicole did. Oh, interesting. Okay. And I think probably Nicole had way, way, you know, a year previous, was probably going to do it anyway. And for some reason he didn't. And I was pulled in. And... Uh, 
and I'm sure if I'd been terrific, I would have carried on. But I, in an actual, and I can still remember the relief on Trevor's face. <laughs> he said, oh, oh, well, but I didn't. Well, it's a hard decision for an actor to take, is it? To, to... Well, it's not, it's something that really, which interests me because what we admire in Britain, in, England, in uh, British acting, is what we call two things that I suspect a great deal, actually. We admire passion, which I can think can be a great distorting, blinding interest. Nobody was more passionate about Coriolanus than I was. And passion was the great destroyer, in my opinion, because I couldn't contain it. Yeah. And the other side of passion is this inexorable, I will not give up. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's a waste of time. If you've, you, you know, I, I, I remember thinking about Coriolanus and thinking, I've done as much as I could do. And it's a waste of time. I'll be, I'll be thumping my head against a brick wall. I've got to go, I've got to go away and do other things and learn more. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, and it's, do, do you learn when you go back to play? Because, like you did, Anthony and Cleopatra th around that time, didn't you? you yeah. Know what I mean? And then, and you must have made an impression on your Cleopatra, Janet Sussman, um, because she then directed you in it. Uh, years, later. years and years yes, later, yes. In, a, in a much better part as Zena Barbus, which yes. is probably the, the the best part in it. It's most. It's a tremendously difficult part. I mean, mm. It's a terrific part, but it's a very enigmatic part, Zena Barbus. Because everybody expects him to be suave and funny. And in actual fact, when you look at it, he's um, hugely object. He's almost frequently, sort of half the time, he's like a kind of chorus. He's turning to the audience saying, saying, look at him. Look at him. It's going to be very, very difficult sticking with this man. Mm -hmm. And eventually saying... I can't take it anymore. It's gone as far, and I've had enough. And, it, and there's this character that speaks like that, and two scenes later he's coming on saying, I made a terrible mistake. I loved a man. <laughs> and breaks his heart. Yeah, and mm. dies of a broken heart, yeah. kills himself with his own emotion. That's it, yeah. And it was tremendously difficult, yeah. But, yeah, um... The only time that I felt, uh, I don't know whether it was good, bad or indifferent, it got very good response, I know that much, uh, and it was the part did what I like parts to do, I, and what the whole aim is, it had a life of its own. So I, I didn't go on, in my head anyway, I didn't go on to repeat what I did last night. Right. I went on to re-engage and live with this guy in this situation with these lines again. And, and it, that was, uh, Greg Doran did a production about a decade ago of uh, Henry VIII. Ah, yes. And I played Cardinal Wolsey. Yeah. And that character, that got to me. And I became convinced that... Um, this is me privately. I didn't take this on the stage, but I became convinced that this was one of the parts that Shakespeare must have played. Right. And they even doubt that he... Well, he certainly didn't write the whole play. Mm. It was one of his later ones. Yeah. There's certainly most of Wolsey's speeches he certainly wrote. They were beautiful. It's a not very often performed play, is it? No. About once a generation. Yeah. And um, it's, which is actually terrific. You know, and people had got, got the, you know, and one of the things I can say about Greg's production, which was in 1997 or something. Yeah, 96, um, 97, yeah. Was that um, he regained uh, his production, irrespective of Woolsey's performance or indeed uh, Henry VIII or whatever. And, and, and Jane Lapotere was marvellous as um, uh, arrogant. And um, was it? He got the he got critics to say, actually, this is a very good piece. This is much better than we thought. Piece. Wow, wow. 
and that's marvellous. That's that's marvellous. I mean, that the satisfaction I got from that piece being in it, and uh, the other one was the U.S., which was the protest show that Peter did. Mm-hmm. That's still oh, the Vietnam. Lived, yeah, the show, yeah, which was on in the stage, and they did do a. Uh, a, a film version called Tell Me Lies which I saw recently last year it was shown at the BFI and um, uh, it, it, those productions are very rare you know and, uh, that, uh, and I've been I count myself lucky because I've uh, had such a breadth of stuff I mean uh, thanks to Ian, more from him. We haven't even touched upon his telly career yet. There's another one of similar length to come next week. Um, what he hasn't told you at this point, of course, is that his charity, well, he just says Alzheimer's, and as you're going to get a couple uh, out of him, um, let me point you to uh, www.alzheimers.org.uk. That's the Alzheimer's Society. Uh, A-L-Z-H-E-I-M-E-R-S www.alzheimers.org.uk There's also Alzheimer's Research UK which is www.alzheimersresearchuk or one word dot org um, There's also the Alzheimer's Society which has, has a Just Giving page so um, one or two of those that you like and give one this week and one next week when uh, we have more from in um, however you like to do it and of course only if you can um, so tune in next week to more from Mr Hogg but until then I hope all is going well with you thanks for listening and ta-ta Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Early Adventures, The Wreck of the World. Ship dead. Ship dead? Ship dead. Jamie, calm down. This is an ancient shipwreck. There's no one else here. Unless... At least tell me the origin point of this vessel. Old world. Destination point? You failed. What is this place, Doctor? It's a suspension chamber, and these people are what? Suspended? Not any longer, I'm afraid. No, not for quite some time. I shall kill you instantly. Doctor, I made such a terrible mistake. Should I destroy the wizard now? No, 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 I I was right. You have to tell me, Doctor. Jamie, I'm sorry, I, I had to be sure. This shipwreck, it's the wreck of the world. Big finish. We love stories. Problem.